Hello, everybody out there in Avalanche Lane, and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast. I'm your host, JJ Derez. Of course, with me today, Arif Dean. We've got Patrick Stedman controlling the controls, right? We're here, we're here in person. But here's the special guest that we kind of teased last week. We didn't tell anybody because it wasn't confirmed, but we've got Peter Baugh of The Athletic joining us. I'm excited for this one because, Peter, you covered an entire season last year, and we didn't really get to have a proper introduction. I mean, the whole COVID and everything like that. So I guess just, you know, a year late, welcome to Denver. We're happy to have you. And, uh, you know, for, for starters, just to give you a layup, what was that transition like, right? You were covering college football, jumping into the NHL. So I guess what was that whole movement like for you? Totally. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, everyone in Denver has been very welcoming, which was very kind. Um, yeah, the transition was was pretty good. I, I obviously learned a lot very quickly. There's a big difference between watching hockey and kind of being a fan of the sport and actually covering it. Um, and I certainly had to make that transition very quickly, uh, which was challenging, but also really fun. Uh, you learn a lot just by asking questions. And there are a lot of people to ask questions to, whether it's people in the media here, whether it's other writers at The Athletic, whether it's the coaches and players when you're talking to them. So I think that made the transition much easier. But yeah, it was it was definitely a change of pace going from college football to uh, hockey all within about a month. I mean, I covered the football season started in August, it ended in December, and I moved out here in uh, late December. So yeah, it was all a bit of a whirlwind. Yeah, still hasn't even been a year. Yeah, so I, I'm actually curious. So you coming from the college football game, Obviously, this past year, the media availability has been what it's been on Zoom. But in a pre-COVID world, what was media availability like for college football? And uh, I'm, ju- I'm just curious how that all was, because this is going to be definitely, if we're allowed in the locker rooms this year, it's going to be a new experience for you covering the avalanche. But just what was it like for college football? Way worse than uh, the NHL and really? most pro sports. Yeah, college college sports, the access is very restrictive. Um unnecessarily so I would argue and I think that it, it was kind of you'd meet uh, there would be one media day a week where some of the players they'd they'd bring them out to they'd pull them off to the side after practice and you could talk to them but if you tried to talk to a player who wasn't on the designated list they'd get mad at you if you reached out to a player independently of the um, I guess team sanctioned availabilities they'd get the the in sports information director would would get on you for it and it was it was a little frustrating so yeah. i think the nhl is a lot nicer in that these people are trusted to be adults because they are adults which i would say college football players mostly are too but you know that's okay you know what's funny is i come from the college athletics you know world and the sphere of, of how they handle things before i came out here and and uh, i worked for the sid i was his assistant for a couple of years and i was often tasked with bringing a player out to somebody who wants to talk to him from like, for example, the Michigan daily, which is the paper out in Ann Arbor for, for U of M. And I never actually thought of that, that I was on that side of the, of, of, of what you're talking about, but that makes sense. I think it's, it's going to be pretty cool. You know, if we're back in the locker rooms this year to kind of see the difference in, in the college game compared to the pro game. Totally. I'm looking forward to it. So uh, you were covering Mizzou, right? For the athletic as well. Yes. That's interesting to me because obviously the athletic, a big platform covering college football. It's, yeah. it's not something we can really compute here because we don't really care that much about college football, <laughs> but I guess let's back up a little bit. Who is Peter Ball? You know, tell us about your upbringing, where you're from, you know, what, where you studied and all that. Let's get to know you a little bit. Cause again, it was such a weird season just having you jump right in and be like, Hey guys, I'm here. I'm trying my hardest to be an expert as fast as I can. We didn't really get much time to know you. So yeah, tell our listeners. What we're, about yourself. what we're really trying to ask is, how does it feel to take Ryan Clark away from the Avalanche faithful? <laughs> oh, well, Ryan Clark. <laughs> Big shoes a, to fill, not going to lie. Huge shoes to yeah. fill. And he's been great to me. He's he's awesome. What a guy. Um, I think so. I was born in, I don't think, I was born in St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> um, and I, I grew up there, went to high school there. Um, it's a great city, very <laughs> interesting, quirky city, and one that I, I still really hold dear. And then I went to college about two hours away in Columbia, Missouri at Mizzou, University of Missouri. You studied journalism out there? Studied journalism in English. One of the best journalism schools yeah. in the country, right? Yep. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it was, I knew this was, I knew journalism was what I wanted to do in state tuition plus a great program within the state. Like it was, it was pretty hard to pass up and it was a great experience. Loved it there. Did a, a lot of different sports. I covered a lot of swimming, actually. I covered football. Um, I covered at points basketball. I, I kind of bounced around some gymnastics, did a lot of stuff. And then, um, throughout the course of 
of my time at Mizzou, I had a few different internships that allowed me to try a few different things where I was, I covered the Cardinals first summer for the post-dispatch, which was really a, a good experience and probably a little more what Arif was saying about how open locker rooms are. You, you actually get to talk to these guys and get to know them a little bit more as people. That was really great. Um, I actually did a study abroad program where I was working for Politico in Brussels, which was, was really fun. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, yeah, so I kind of was able to try my hand at a lot of different things while I was in college and I was really grateful for that. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to get hired by the athletics straight after graduation. They, I guess, read some of my work covering Mizzou and, and liked the coverage I had and figured they, so did they reach out to you first? Is that how that worked? Yeah. They reached out and were like, Hey, do you want to talk sometime? We, we like the work you do at Mizzou. I had been the, I think the previous season I'd worked for the Kansas city star as like just a fall intern. And it, it was a great opportunity from the athletic. And I, I was really thankful when I got it and it was, it was cool. And I think I, I was ready after a little while though, to maybe I'd been in Missouri my whole life. I was ready for a new challenge, something to I think just get acclimated with a new place, I think can be a really good thing for personal growth. And then I also kind of was looking to, to maybe try a professional sport. I think that was what I was more passionate about covering. And this opportunity arose and I thought it sounded really fun. So I, I kind of threw my, my hat in the mix and I was lucky enough that, um, they deemed me, <laughs> uh, not too much of a mess to hire. <laughs> nice. And who did that contact come from? Cause I know, I know it's, uh, <laughs> Alex Mather and Adam something, the owners, the founders of the athletic, are they ingrained in the hiring process or was that just in the beginning? Eric, are you asking him cause you're genuinely interested? No, I, you I, no, 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 no. Like, who do I, <laughs> no, 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 I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here to fill two big <laughs> shoes, but I've always been, I've always been very like, uh, very intrigued by the athletic because it kind of came out of nowhere. They started hiring all these big writers like James yeah. Myrtle and, you know, Jeremy Rutherford in St. Louis and all these guys that start basically like got away from companies that they were working for, for 10, 15, 20 years for some of them and, and just joined the startup. And I'm always very intrigued by how these two guys, Alex and Adam were able to get this thing off, you know, off the ground and running. And, and now to the point where, you know, like you were saying, they're covering college football, they're mm -hmm. covering, they're in every NHL city, MLB, they're in Europe now. So I'm just very intrigued by the athletic in general. And, you know, you know, get it <laughs> there. It doesn't hurt, no. right? <laughs> just kidding. Um, well, so Adam and Alex, I think I'm sure earlier on at the start, they were probably a lot more involved in the actual hiring of people. By, by my point, I mean, they like, I think it's more they kind of approve hires rather than actually make them themselves. So I was, I was contacted by one of the college football editors initially, and then I never talked to Adam or Alex throughout that process. It was all through the college football editors. Um, and then I, I, you know, you meet, a, like you have Slack exchanges with them where they maybe check in, see how you're liking the company or whatever. And then, um, when I applied for the hockey job, Craig Custance, um, who's obviously a longtime hockey writer, he reached out and I talked to him and James Myrtle and they interviewed me and then eventually offered the job. And I'm glad you went there because that was going to be my next question is, you know, you mentioned earlier you were a hockey fan, but what enticed you, you know, not just the avalanche beat in general, but becoming a beat writer in the NHL and wanting to transfer over from what you were doing with, with Mizzou? Yeah, so I, I kind of was open to a lot of different possibilities. I, I really wanted to, to cover a pro sport, like I mentioned, and I'd actually gotten a bit of a taste of covering hockey, um, both for the athletic a little bit and then a little bit before that. The summer of 2019, before the athletic hired me, um, the Boston Herald needed an extra writer at the Stanley Cup um, to help cover the Bruins Blues series. So I, mm. they reached out and it was a sweet deal. They just they were sending I think two or three writers and they just wanted an extra person on deck to like help with getting quotes from Blues players, doing some Blues stories here and there. And I was they asked if I'd be interested and I said, of course uh, that yeah. sounds amazing. Yeah. So a Stanley Cup final. Yeah, who would say no? Exactly. So I I hadn't covered hockey before that. The first time I covered hockey was Game Three of the 2019 Stanley Cup. And it was so much fun. I had a blast. Yeah. And you mentioned the open locker rooms, like the access you get to those players. It's it's really, really cool and just such a cool environment. And I I was certainly drawn to it after that where I it hadn't been a sport I'd ever really considered covering. 
But after that, I was like, wow, this maybe is something I could see myself doing. Maybe I always thought maybe baseball or the NBA or something like that. But after that, I was like, okay, I'd be open to this too. And then um, helped out with some blues coverage for the athletic and continue to like it. And here we are. All right. So we got to get into it. You said the blues, their captain is Ryan O'Reilly. He used to be here. Everybody knows that I'm, I'm, I'm the Ryan O'Reilly truther. I've been Number on, one fanboy. I've been on team Ryan O'Reilly since him and Duchesne were drafted and people thought Duchesne was the next big thing. And I always believed it was number at the time, 37, now mm-hmm. 90. Did you get much access to him? Did you do much talking with him? Do you have much of a relationship or remember much about covering him in those finals? Because obviously he went on to win not just the Stanley Cup, but the Consmite Trophy. Oh, he was unreal in those in those Stanley Cup. I I certainly talked to him a, a good bit. I mean, he talked to a lot of people there. I don't know if he would remember. Well, me well that's funny because when he was here in Colorado, I covered him his last season here, and he hey, he would not talk to anybody. But that was also a pretty brutal team. There was, so it, um, well, it wasn't also, in the Stanley also Cup Also, by finals. then, it was, you no, know, this was year three of the, 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 the relationship they had just going sour, you mm-hmm. know, after the offer sheet and after the summer where he started in the KHL if, or the season where he started in the KHL and then got the offer sheet from Calgary. So it kind of... It went a little all over the place. My my memory of Ryan O'Reilly, and this is obviously before I got here, which uh, was the 2014 Stanley Cup final or Stanley Cup playoffs when they lost that game seven in Minnesota. There was that picture that I don't remember which part of the media posted it. With his he head was, down, right? Just he was in his sitting locker. in his locker room stall with his head down. The entire team was gone. Everybody was showered and out of the room, and he was still sitting there in his stall with his head down, just completely crushed. Mm-hmm. And that was the year where he scored 28 goals. That was the year he was a left winger. And the Avalanche, obviously, under Patrick Wall, won their won their division and, and were a number one seed. So just remembering that that itch he had to win, obviously getting traded to Buffalo, seeing everything that went on there, and then obviously having that quote where he was starting to lose love for the game, which people kind of took out of context. Yeah, but, I didn't think that was an out of line. I mean, no, it's it's a very normal thing to say. When when you're losing, you're you're stuck in these bad organizations, and then you get traded from one, no offense, the Avalanche were a terrible organization when he was here, and then getting traded to another one, it was just a lot on him. And then, lo and behold, first year in St. Louis Cup, Conn Smythe, just a nice you know storybook ending for him. And, and he's still 30-something years old. He's a Team Canada hopeful, and he's probably got a lot more years left in him. Yeah, and I, I really enjoyed talking to him. I thought he was really insightful. And I know maybe he was a little more guarded, that last year in Colorado, but when I, whenever I talked to him, he was really good about answering questions. And two of the games I cover, I only covered the Stanley Cup games in St. Louis, and both of those games were losses. And he was, mm. he was great. He was really insightful. Um, took time when I mean he, and he wasn't no, even he wasn't even the captain at that time. No, he uh, and Petrangelo obviously did a lot of the yeah, for talking sure. too. But he he certainly was a leader on that team, and yeah, really incredible run of game. I think he scored in. Like the, the last, last six five games or, six or something. Or some crazy yeah, way. it was it was nuts. He was he was certainly he was playing out of his mind, and the Blues wouldn't have won without him. Back to when you were given the uh, the position, right? Suddenly there had to be a moment when you're like, "Holy shit, I'm about to cover an NHL team. I gotta be on my game." You probably started studying. You started looking at hockey DB. I guess what what was that like for you? What did you do to kind of start getting yourself a little more acclimated with the Avalanche? Yeah, well, so it actually started a little before. When I applied for the job and knew I was going to be doing interviews or whatever, I, I thought, man, I really should should know what I'm talking about a little bit. So that's I started learning the team a little bit more then. Um, I, I definitely, after I got the job, it was a lot of phone calls with Ryan Clark, who, like I said, was incredible to me. Um, good friend and obviously an awesome coworker. He, uh, he, he kind of helped talk me through the roster, some organizational philosophies, thinking, that was really helpful. One of my friends, um, Teddy Hans, who I went to college with, he's a big hockey guy, and he was extremely generous with his time where we would just kind of like go over the lines and what he thought of players, and I'd pick his brains about um, different guys on the team. And then just a ton of reading. I think I made a point of reading just like every single player's Wikipedia page within the within the team because I knew, obviously, I McKinnon. I'd, I'd actually talked to McKinnon at um, – the all-star game that was in St. Louis. I obviously knew who he was, Kale McCarr, those folks. But uh, when you get farther down into the like bottom six and then like third pairing defensemen and stuff like that, you really have to do <laughs> that was, that was kind of the level for me where I needed to find out a lot more about those guys. So that it took studying. It took a lot of work, but then by the time I started, I had a pretty good grasp on the roster and then that just grew as the season went on. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much you've picked up on hockey culture in your year of covering the Avs, but, you know, they don't really like outsiders, right? So I wonder, did you get any pushback? Because I, from my perspective, you jumped in seamlessly. You you became an expert super quick, and I was really impressed by that. Did you have any, you know, those diehard Avs fans that maybe shunned you at first at all, or were you pretty well accepted on, on Twitter? I guess that's really the only place you could interact with people. Yeah, I think I was pretty well accepted for the most part. People have been very, very kind to me. Uh, they're, they're, I mean, you'll get a comment here or there like, oh, Ryan Clark's better. Like, what, what are, <laughs> what's the athletic doing? And it's, it doesn't really – you can't let it get right. in your head at all. But, yeah, there would be an occasional thing. But for the most part, I think people were really – it seemed like – because there was that bit of a stage of limbo where Ryan had transitioned to his new role, being a national writer, doing Kraken stuff, and there wasn't a writer. So I think people were just really excited when they hired someone and they had consistent avalanche coverage. So – they were mostly pretty excited to see what I did. Yeah, and we actually had Ryan Clark here. Actually, it was the last time we used this studio because we're obviously here recording in person. And uh, we talked to him right before he moved. And uh, obviously, he's taken big steps. He kind of came on board just really quick and, and you know, was here for, what, two seasons? Three? I think just two. Yeah, it was just two years and obviously the end of the COVID year and then went right into national work. And now he's finally got a team. Just I know you mentioned earlier that you relied on him a lot. Just what has he done for you, you know, in this past year since you took this job? Not even a year, actually. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just like availability more than anything. Like he's just been always willing to talk. And if like he's busy with something, he'll get back to me after. And he's he's just he's been awesome. He's a great dude and has really helped me if I'm like talking through a story idea, I'll, I can call him. If he has a story idea, he can call me um, and, and we'll bounce things off each other. And I think it's like, there's only so much you can know about a team without covering it in terms of whether it's organizational philosophy, prospect development, things like that. And Ryan is someone who obviously has that um, knowledge from covering the team and was really generous with helping me kind of like pass along that knowledge to me as I was getting going, especially in those few weeks after I accepted the job and before I um, started where I was both covering the end of a college football season, uh, finishing up my responsibilities there, moving, um, saying goodbye to my family in Missouri, and um, also learning a lot about the avalanche. So he was great. Yeah, and that's, you know, the availability thing's a big thing for him. Him and I used to... Uh, during the bubble after the games, you know, sometimes he would call me after media availability. You know, I'd have a couple questions for him or he'd want to mention a couple comments. Give me some tips. Two hours later, we're still on the phone. It's like two in the morning. I have another job at like seven or eight. And I'm like, dude, we got to we got to cut this short. But his just his availability is top notch. He's always willing to talk. He's always willing to kind of help out. It's just it's really great what he's done, obviously, for you and just for this beat in general. He kind of he he, he really changed the way that hockey's covered here. And you've kind of like JJ said, just seamlessly had taken that over and continued it. Yeah, he's one of our finest. Great dude. Yeah, he's unique too because he's always so interested in learning, right? He has something to talk about with everyone. Even the most unique features of a person, he can relate to them somehow. So I really like that about him because he, like you, came in not knowing much about hockey. He was covering football and you kind of saw him and the transition of him learning how the X's and O's side works. Obviously, he's a great reporter, knows how to do that side of it. But let's get back to you. Um, you know, so it's day one, you're in Colorado, you're ready to cover a story. And I know for me, when I'm covering the team, there's just there's a lot of, I guess, analysis going on in my brain that it's hard to kind of wrap my head, right? You're trying to watch who's doing what, what kind of patterns they're doing, what they're trying to do. So, you know, were you a little bit overwhelmed at first or did you kind of already had an, an idea of maybe your first story? What was day one like for you here covering the team? I was I was I was quite overwhelmed, um, but in a good way. It was it was funny. So I get this job, uh, or I the day like that I officially started and like they announced that I was covering this team on Twitter. Obviously, my phone's blowing up from that, but it was also my birthday, so my phone just was oh, like nice. it was it was a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I certainly knew, had a few story ideas going in. I knew I wanted to do a story that I ended up doing. Um, kind of in the middle of the season about Nathan McKinnon and his days at Shattuck St. Mary's. I, I really found that when I was doing like research, I, there wasn't a ton about that period of his life online. And I thought it could be a really fun story to explore that. Um, so that certainly was, was something that I knew I wanted to do. And it, it gave me a project to work on right away, kind of like a, a bone to chase in the future where I was making these calls and getting in touch with, with other people. So that was really 
a good thing for me to have to focus on long term. And then yeah, it was kind of just stories that the the beat dictated as as we went along. And then I guess going into uh, this this upcoming season, um, you've kind of you know. The stories, like you said, they've kind of came as they did with with the way things were handled on Zoom. Just how excited are you? I mean, we all are, but how excited are you to be able to dig a little bit deeper, to be able to talk to these guys and really have these exclusive stories that, let's face it, the hardest part about Zoom is asking questions with everybody knowing where what your next story is going to be about sure. based off of those questions. Just how excited are you to be able to really dig deeper and write those very long features that The Athletic is known for? in an exclusive fashion. Totally. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where like with the abs last year, it was a lot of talking to people around the players and whether that's parents, family members, friends, former teammates, former coaches, you had to kind of rely on that reporting when you were doing your stories. Whereas hopefully this year we'll be able to still do that reporting, but also um, meet these players and, and actually like get have some side conversations, one-on-one conversations to learn a little bit more about them. And I think it ideally, if it works out the way we're hoping with open locker rooms or at least some sort of additional access, I I think it will lead to really good stories for readers to, to get to see. Cause I think that's everyone benefits from, from that access. Let's get a little bit into the team itself, right? Yeah. Uh, as you saw with Nathan McKinnon's final presser, he's he's frustrated, right? And that's kind of been an eight, ten, ten to eight to ten year thing here in Colorado. We've been all a little bit frustrated with the progress of the Colorado Avalanche and just the overall, I guess, uh, production, right? We, we we still haven't seen a cup. We haven't results, seen a yeah. third round. Results is what I'm looking for there. So, having it been your first year, I guess, how much of that did you notice? And I guess, what's your overall assessment of where this team is right now? Yeah, I mean, I think there's obviously a getting to game seven of the second round two years in a row going into this past season. There was a, a big expectation of the previous two seasons. You kind of had a built in reason for why they didn't go farther. I mean, I think in 2019, that's a young team probably wasn't ready to make the next step. Getting to game seven of the second round was almost accomplishment. Yeah, sure. it was yeah. kind of almost best case scenario. Whereas, and then the next year, the team probably was ready to take the next jump, but they were completely like injured. Mm-hmm. They, I think what seven starters were out in the in game seven, and yeah. they still almost won. Uh-huh. And then, um, and then this year, I think was it seemed like a year where everything was coming together. The team was healthy. They'd made these additions. They had cap flexibility, and they used it to get guys like Brandon Saad and Devon Taves. Um, and they fell short. So I think that led to a lot of frustration. Um, I do think that the team is still in a really good spot. I think that. When you've got an elite-level defenseman who's a Norris Trophy contender, when you've got a guy like Nathan McKinnon who can be your top-line center and one of the three best players in the league, when you've got Mika Rantanen who's proven himself to be an elite right-winger, and then you've got guys like Gabriel Landeskog, Navon Tave, Samuel Girard, you're in a good spot. I think that Avalanche fans, though, none of it – to a lot of people, it doesn't really matter until – the playoffs come like the regular season. This team's going to be good. Everyone knows that it's just about whether they can get it done when the games really count. And the crazy thing is like every year, like you said, the regular season, it, it used to be, can the avalanche make it? And they did in 2018, just barely scraping by 2019. They just barely scraped by Grubauer went on that crazy run in March. And then 2020, you know, they, they added Donskoy and Kadri and Burakovsky and all these guys. And it became, well, we're going to have a good regular season. Can they make it far in the playoffs? And they had injuries going into this season. The expectation again, or this past year, 2021 was good regular season, make it out of the first round. Well, now you're going into the next year. This past season, they won six straight playoff games and then lost four straight. So now making the regular, you know, making the playoffs is going to be an expectation doing good in the regular season, probably winning your division is going to be an expectation. Sweeping the first round opponent is ultimately, or, or really breezing by that opponent, still going to be an expectation. And even then, nobody's going to be excited yet because we saw them do that this past season. We saw them win the first two games against Vegas before it all came crashing down. So it's kind of like the longer this goes, the longer it keeps going of them not going, getting over the hump, kind of like the Capitals, which we've talked about many times, the expectations are just going to become more and more and more and the pressure is going to mount as well yeah and i do think it is it's it's important to still and i think this is easier for me to say since i'm not an avalanche fan i cover the team it's not like you have a vested interest in how they do other than how 
it impacts the job that that you do. But I think that when you look at like, I think it is still possible to like get joy out of the individual moments that come in a regular season, even if that season doesn't result in a championship. But I think that for a team like the Avalanche, it's it's ultimately a lot of fans' memories of the season are probably going to be determined by what happens come next early summer. So what you're telling me is from St. Louis, you have no vested interest in a Stan Kroenke team winning a championship? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying, like, journalistically, you've got to yeah. kind of separate. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but what, once we get back into the locker room, you're going to find yourself rooting for the Avalanche because when you go into that locker room after a loss, you don't want to be in there. There's, there's so many other yeah, places I'd rather be. In there. Yeah, well, no, well, nobody that, wants to be there. That is true of, like, you really do... As a reporter, like <laughs> the the way the team's doing does affect your daily life. It affects how fans interact with you. It affects how how players interact with you, how they're feeling. And also, I mean, you get to know these guys, and you develop like certainly like I guess fondness for the ones who are are good to you, and and you build good relationships with. And even if you're not like explicitly rooting for them, it's still like nice to see human beings succeed that you know are good people or whatever so i think there's there's always going to be some of that that like creeps in for sure but yeah so there's a lot of good people on the team but there's one specifically who's who's been good to you he's a good guy he's been good to jj to me to literally anybody and everybody in that locker room and it's the captain who's coming back for eight more years it's gabe landeskog who obviously had that little bit of a contract uh, saga this summer there hasn't been a lot of exclusive stories written this year because the coverage has been very tight. But one specific story that you wrote this summer kind of sent shockwaves around, not just the avalanche, but the NHL world, because then other teams started to catch on and everything. And it was obviously Gabe Landeskog and the story about him, which you wrote, which, by the way, was very well written the way you went into his captaincy and everything. But, you know, there was that quote in there where he said, come September, I don't know what jersey I'm going to wear. Number one. Did you expect to get a quote that big? And did you expect the story to blow up that big? And number two, just how did that story come to be? How did you get in contact with Gabe? And just how did that all happen for you? Yeah, so it was kind of funny. I actually like started reporting that story midway through the season. I, I didn't intend it to be some big like free agency story or anything like that. I just thought it would be really interesting in Gabe's, I believe that was his, his 10th season with the team. I just wanted to do a story about what his first year as captain was like and what being a 19 year old leading these 30 whatever year old men like 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 that's got to be such an interesting situation i was fascinated by it so i wanted to really look into that that was kind of the motivation for the story um but i i knew for the story i needed to talk to gabe individually i don't think it would have worked in a zoom press conference setting but unfortunately it just never happened the um i think the media relations people like they had a tough time getting it set up and and so it just never happened and at a certain point we like I just was like we're going to table this for the off season and in the off season Gabe was not affiliated with a team so it wasn't like the Mm. PR necessarily had interesting that's a good point yeah yeah Yeah, so I I kind of went through like uh his agent initially was how I I like I, I talked to him about getting in touch with Gabe at some point he said he'd like help out and see what he could do and then um yeah one day I was I it was I guess this story came out in June maybe somewhere in that range mm-hmm. I um <laughs> I was actually just I was about to leave for a trip back to St. Louis for a little bit just to see my parents and, and stuff like that and I had I had just gotten like a rapid COVID test before I went on the flight to make sure I was being safe and everything like that and I get a number a call from a, a Denver number um, a 303 number, and I was I was like, huh, who could who could this be? I I figured it was just the results of my COVID test. And with all the scammers that are out yeah. there these days, yeah. you probably assumed it was one of them. You probably debated even answering it. Yeah. Well, so I, I answer it, and I'm like, I remember I was like, I had just like I think I just like gone on a run or something. I was really sweaty, and I answer. I'm like, hello, and the guy goes, hi, it's Gabe, and I my mind was not thinking hockey in the slightest. I was just like. And so I was like, oh, I'll, I'll fake it till I make it. And then I'll figure out who this is as I go. So I'm like, hey, man, how's it going? And he's like, oh, I'm good, dude. I'm good. And I, I was like, 
I'm so sorry. I, I didn't I didn't hear who you said this was. Who is this? And he goes, Oh, this is Nathan McKinnon. And I go, Wait, what? And and then he's laughing on the other end and he's like, Oh, I'm just messing with you. This is Gabe Landis guy. And then we had this great interview about his development and growth as a captain. And then he obviously made those comments, which I was Certainly a little like, as soon as he said it, I was like, wow, that was like, those are big, those yeah. are big words. <laughs> Cause I asked him, I was like, I, I just, how does it feel to have uncertainty for the first time going into a season about where you're going to play? And he was, he said the like, yeah, it's, it's weird not knowing what Jersey I'm going to be wearing. He said he was disappointed with how the negotiations had gone. And it, with each sentence, I was like, oh wow, this, this it's actually getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah. This, this actually could be a bigger, cause I kind of assumed he would probably not shoot away those questions, but give kind of a polished answer of like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, we'll we'll see how it works out. I'm I'm just focusing on what I can control, you know, the general kind of standard response to a question like that. But then he was really candid, which I was grateful for. I thought it was it was good to hear an athlete be candid and then yeah, it obviously helped out the story. That point right there though that Peter makes that he didn't expect it at all, that's what made it suspicious for me the whole time. And I was this I had this take during the whole saga, that it was a little bit more of a production. It was a little bit more of, I have to do this to kind of put some pressure on the avalanche, more so than him legitimately fearing that he's not going to be in Colorado. What was the vibe you picked up? Was he legitimately fearing that he might not be in Colorado, or did it seem like a little bit of a production? And, and that's the thing. That's what I was going to say is, so you're telling me the agent said, hey, you can talk to Gabe, and then had Gabe call you, and probably give him a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like, hey, let's put a little pressure on the avalanche right. here. Just bury the lead a little bit. It's a chess match, right? Yeah. Do you think there was any of that going on? Maybe, but I don't, I mean, at the end of the day, I think that, I think more of what it was, was I think Gabe probably wanted the fan base to know that, like, <laughs> I think he wanted them to know that it wasn't, like, his choice that a contract hadn't been done, which... It, I mean, to an extent it was like he had contract offers at that point, but he, he knew what he, he saw his value at and the abs hadn't met it up to that point. And he, he wanted people to know that it wasn't like he didn't want to come back to Colorado. Um, were there ulterior motives? I don't know, but I think that that is honestly how Gabe Landisgog was feeling in that moment. I don't think he, I think he always wanted to come back to the avalanche. I don't think that it was a certainty at all points. I think that if, I mean, this this deal, it, it didn't get done until the, I mean, I think it was the deadline for it to be eight years. Like it was 20, 20 minutes before. Minutes. Yeah. yeah. So so this was not a, like, easy negotiation, and the Avs certainly had to pay more than they were wanting to, and they had to pay for longer than they were wanting to. So all of that, to me, says that this was not a guarantee that Gabe Landisgod came back. And I think... It was always in the best interest of both parties for it to happen, but sometimes that doesn't always happen. You look at Alex Petrangelo, where it always felt like he was going to go back to the Blues until he wasn't. Well, what's interesting about the story you wrote, going back to that, is kind of the way you wrote it. Like I mentioned earlier, you talked about you know Milan Hiduk handing him this jersey with the C, and he's this 19-year-old kid, and the Avalanche have all these veterans on the team, You know, a couple young guys like Duchesne and Eric Johnson and all that, and and then you kind of kept going and going and it was this good story. And I remember reading it the first time and then just hearing, you know, just like kind of like burying the lead, but not necessarily. And then get, reading those quotes and I'm like, holy crap, like where did this come from? But yeah. judging by the way that that conversation went with him, like he didn't come on the phone ready to like, you know, guns blazing, bash the avalanche and be like, where the hell's my contract? Like he was joking about I'm Nathan McKinnon, ha 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 having this fun conversation with you and then kind of went into those comments and it kind of goes into why the article was, the, the story was written that way. It's because this is kind of the way that the conversation went with Gabe, number one. And number two, like he was just speaking his mind kind of, it wasn't necessarily that he had, you know, like I joked about earlier, even, you know, made a little uh, comment about is this ulterior motive to come in and really put pressure on Joe Sackick. It was more like, yeah, this is what's happening. If you're going to ask me about the off season, I'm going to be a little bit more straightforward about it. And it was just interesting that, that, you know, even in a time where he didn't know he was coming back, he still was buddy, buddy. And I'm Nathan McKinnon and, and just, you know, having a good time with it. Yeah. And I think that's just kind of how he is. Like he's a friendly dude and he's not going to like, he's not going to be cold just because he's a free agent or anything like that. But I, I think that, I think he, I don't, 
I, I mean, I haven't obviously, I have not interviewed Gabe Landeskog about the outlook going into this interview, but I think he probably was like, I'm just going to be honest and say kind of what I'm feeling in this moment. And that's kind of what he did. I think that it's hard to say what like pressure an interview can put on a team. I don't think that that drastically changed the like avalanches negotiation tactics. Like it certainly wasn't smooth. It wasn't like that interview happened and it was smooth sailing for there. There were periods where the sides weren't really talking after that. Um, I think it was just something he was willing to be honest about and he wanted fans to maybe know his perspective about. But I, but I think that story was the one that kind of gave other teams a little bit of like a green light, like, oh, this guy is actually potentially, because, you know, it's getting messier than There definitely yeah. isn't tampering happening behind the scenes with the <laughs> agent and other teams. So it must have been this story that kind of like in an ideal world, it was this story that kind of gave other teams, like even the St. Louis Blues, who who, you know, were, were rumored, and I don't know how much these rumors were actually true, but we're going to offer him eight or nine million. And just think of what it would have, from from a journalistic standpoint, I, I wanted nothing more that than if Landeskog walked to go to St. Louis, because to see him playing with, with Ryan O'Reilly just would have been stories galore yeah. for this city and for all journalists that cover this team or that team. A Landeskog, O'Reilly, Perron. Perron, oh. Would have been, would have been tough. Yeah. That, that must have been a nice moment for you because obviously you laid a ton of groundwork there, right? It wasn't just a random, spontaneous, hey, Landeskog calling you. But Landeskog ended up personally calling you. So had you, if, if you hadn't felt it yet, that must have been a moment of, all right, I'm here. I'm established. He didn't call any of the other media guys who have been here from day one. That's, that's a nice jab at me. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's all good. <laughs> I, Go fit, on. I fit them in where I can. It's all good. Um, so, yeah, that must have been a, a total day where you're like, I'm here. I'm I'm an Avalanche media member and one of the highest regarded ones too. Yeah, I mean I, I think it was validating in in that regard of just that like this was a guy I had only talked to on Zoom calls, but the fact that he was comfortable talking to me about both his growth as a person and as a captain and then also about his future with the team, I think like I it was certainly validating. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good way to put it. Well, let's look into the upcoming season, right? I guess yeah. let's get your stance. Where do you think they, they sit right now? Obviously, everybody has high hopes, but you know there was some movement this year. No Saad, no Donskoy, and not really anybody replacing them. So what do you think this team's going to look like? Are they going to be- get better, worse? And you know, ultimately, where do you think they, they finish off? Yeah, well, on paper, this team is not as deep and not as good as it was last year. But I also believe that this team doesn't need to be as good or as deep as last year to win a Stanley Cup. Like it, it, the the team last year was definitely good enough, and it was a missed opportunity. And I think this year's team is good enough. And that's not to say that they will win a Stanley Cup or make a Stanley Cup. I'm just saying that the talent is there, the pieces are there. Um, are there holes to fill? Certainly, but I think every team in the league's talent is a little bit diluted because there was a team that got added to the mix that swooped away like a pretty decent player from every single team. And a lot of teams struggle with cap space. Like, I mean, obviously Tampa, their third line's going to not be the same that it was last year. You look at um, pretty much every team had to make sacrifices to make this offseason work. And um, the abs were no different, and that led to uh, some some downgrades. I mean, Brandon Saad playing on the second line is such a luxury, and that's gone. Mm-hmm. Um that's not to say that someone can't step up, though. And I think that's what's going to be so fascinating about this season is we really have last year going in, the the lineup was almost set going in. You knew in. who the top six was. There was no question. You knew the top, top six nine, was, even. yeah, top nine. It was it was more like, oh, who's going to play on the fourth line with Belmar? It was, mm-hmm. it, is Logan O'Connor going to make yeah. the opening night roster? Whereas this year, it's like, you know, five of the top six are. And then after that... There's a lot of spots up for grabs. There's whether it's a guy like JT Comfer who could play anywhere from fourth line to second line. It's it's him battle like he's going to be in the lineup, but where? And you have guys like Jost who are in a similar boat. You have guys like Alex Newhook who are trying to break in. Someone like I don't know. Is there room for a young guy like a Jean Luc Foudy? Is there is Sampo Ranta going to make a push? Is Shane Bowers ready? And and you've got all those questions. So there is. A chance that the Avalanche, if some of these young guys develop the way they want, maybe they don't replace Brandon Saad and Jonas Donskoy's production exactly, but maybe by kind of committee they can get close. 
Well, you know, you kind of made a good point there about the expansion draft kind of diluting all the other teams, which is ultimately what happens when you go from 31 to 32 per, uh, teams. There's a percentage of skill that's being taken away from each team. But yeah. I think the the most interesting thing is, you know, we, we kind of went over this, JJ and I, a few episodes ago, we recorded and we talked about how pretty much every contender this year, when you look at their offseason, you can say, yeah, they're 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 a little bit worse than last year on paper. I mean, look at the Carolina Hurricanes. They have two new goalies. The Avalanche have a new goalie. Boston's got a new goalie. Vegas has a new starter, not a new goalie, but you know, someone that they're going to ride with. They got a little bit worse. Toronto got a little bit worse. Tampa Bay obviously lost their entire third line and Tyler Johnson. I mean, that's if 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 having Brandon Saad as a second line left winger is a luxury, having friggin' Tyler Johnson as your fourth line center <laughs> is a luxury. So everybody got a little bit worse. And I think that's something that people don't really realize. It's like when you look at the avalanche in a vacuum by themselves, it's like, okay, so they lost their second line left winger. They lost the guy that he replaced from the year before in Giannis Donskoy. They lost this defenseman in Ryan Graves that came out to the scene and replaced him with Ryan Murray, who, you know, can provide value, but might be a little bit more injury prone. They lost their starter and replaced him with another starter. Like when you look at it in a vacuum, you can say that this team got worse on paper and ultimately, you know, in, in general. But when you look at it compared to the rest of the NHL, I mean, look at all the, 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 the betting gods right now. The Avalanche are still right up there or the number one team ahead of Tampa and Vegas because they're still seen when you don't look at it in a vacuum compared to other teams as, as ultimately the contender to, to win this thing. And I, yeah, I, I agree. And I also think that Vegas maybe didn't get as much worse as people think. Obviously flurry was exceptional last year, but Robin Leonard was the goalie they went with at the end. And so maybe they don't have the luxury of being able to bounce between two goalies, but they're starting like forward group is probably a little stronger. They made some additions there and they still have a really good goaltender. So they're going to continue to be a problem. But it's it's like you said, the Avs, if you look at teams who have rosters that are capable of winning the Stanley Cup, the Avalanche are one of the teams that do. And that did not change this offseason, even if there were some downgrades. Well, well, the thing with Vegas, I mean, I think the forgotten acquisition they made was Dadanov exactly. as, as a winger who's going to be a big addition. The thing that I always come back to with Vegas, and I kind of joked about it a little bit early last year, even though he had a good season, it's having Chandler Stevenson and William Carlson as your top two centermen, like seeing a team win a Stanley Cup where you don't have that, not only just that number one guy, but a good number two guy. Like the Avalanche always had Nathan McKinnon, but it wasn't until they brought in after that 2019 Cinderella run is ultimately what it was, bringing in a second line center like Nazem Kadri, where your second line center isn't maybe Kerfoot, maybe Comfort, maybe Jost, maybe Soderberg. It's having two really solid guys down the middle, and I think Vegas has like one maybe kind of a second is is the biggest thing for them. But they obviously offset that and make it up with with the amount of wingers they have and how good they are. So what I'm hanging my hat on that the Avalanche are going to make progress this year is what happened at goaltender. Of course, Philip Grubauer was good last year, but I think they it was a huge upgrade. I'm anticipating, you know... A for, huge upgrade. I wow. think a huge upgrade. Goaltending's my specialty. That's what I have an eye for. I played it my whole life. Okay. Um, I think Kemper is going to come in, and, and in my opinion, I, I'm hoping for... Uh, lead the league in shutouts, not even, you know, be great. I'm thinking, I'm thinking big time. Great. So that being said, what are some of the storylines you're keeping an eye on? What are you most excited for? Because for me, it's hands down Darcy Kemper. Are you in that boat or are you kind of, I mean, I'm sure as a journalist, you have a million ideas you're juggling and a million storylines, you know, to, to get yourself prepared. But what's, what are some of your favorites? Yeah. I mean, Kemper obviously is, I, I, I'm really intrigued to see is he an upgrade? Is he a slight downgrade? Can he stay healthy? Is he, I mean, I think that there's a chance he could come in and with playing with a really good defense, he could really thrive in Colorado. He's pumped about the trade. He's really excited to be here. Um, but then there's also a chance that it takes some time to adjust to the systems. And again, at the end of the day, you just want him ready for the playoffs. Cause that's when it really matters. Um, but if he's, if Darcy Kemper can can be at Philip Grubauer's level in the regular season, the Avs will take that any day. And if he can find a way to be a little better in the second round of the playoffs, they'll be they'll be pretty thrilled about that. I think. Well, the thing about that is, even when Philip Grubauer was brought into here, I don't know if you remember JJ Peter. You know, if you were if you were keeping up with the Avalanche at that point, but he had a terrible start to his Avalanche career. It was not good. Varlamov had to take over, and then you know they kind of like. And a terrible end to his Capitals career, too. So yeah. you're starting to think like, oh, gosh, who is this yeah. guy? What are well, we getting here? What was this acquisition? Yeah. What are we doing here? And I remember the Islanders wanted to, to wanted to acquire him that summer. And, you know, they ended up, uh, the Avalanche ended up, you know, being able to take on the Brooks Orpik deal was ultimately what got them Philip Grubauer. But 
they he started off you know very he struggled a little bit and then he came on kind of you know in that in that run that he had in March and April where he went like 13 and one or some crazy numbers squeaked them into the playoffs beat the Calgary Flames gave the Sharks all he had but then the 2020 season his numbers you know were not as good as Pavel Francouz who if the goalie situation is a story and Darcy Kemper is a story it's not just Darcy Kemper. It's Darcy Kemper and Pavel Francouz because yeah. now you have two guys that are going to come in that, you know, assuming both are healthy because Francouz hasn't played in, in God knows how long. Well, it's only been a year now because the bubble was going on. Like, you know, early September was when he was pulled or late August for Hutchinson and K- Kemper who had a bad year in Arizona. But, you know, at that point he had done all he can for that team. But a great world championships too. That's the thing. He bounced back in the world championship. That's a very good point. But you know that you have a little bit of time for Darcy Kemper if it takes him some time to sort of get acclimated kind of like it did for Grubauer when you had Varley there. Like, come on, if, if Grubauer's not going to start off strong, okay, well, we'll just put in the other guy who's a starter. Well, now you have Pavel Francouz who coming out of the 2020 season and that regular season that he had before the bubble playoffs, a lot of teams were looking at him like, this guy could be a starter in the NHL. So now you got two guys and you got somebody who's going to be a bit of a safety net. Granted, the big question mark is, both of them were injured last year. Yeah. So it's how do they recover? If they both do, I mean, I agree with you. I think Kemper's going to have a great year and and you have a safety net in Pavel. Yeah, I think it's not a bad situation to be in, um, at least for this year. Next year, they're both free agents. They're going to have to figure out what to do with that. Um, okay. But they, sorry, <laughs> um, I dropped a, a for those listening, I dropped a piece <laughs> of plastic that, that made some noise. So apologies to all listeners. Um, yeah, you're going to, the question is, this year, how can how far can they carry you? And then next year, uh, what goes? How does the team handle having two expiring contracts? Yeah, and I mean, I think next year is a big question mark because even Nazem Kadri, Andre Burakovsky, I think Nichushkin, did he sign a two year deal? Yeah, he signed a two year deal, so he's a free agent. That might be your second line, Nichushkin, Kadri, Burakovsky. So that might all be UFA's your starter, your backup. But the most interesting thing to me about the goalie situation is when you look around the league a lot of the contenders have a different goalie. I mean, Vegas, you know, we, we said it, you know, Leonard's not new, but he kind of is, but he's also the guy they ended with. But if you look around the other teams, Toronto's got a new starter. Carolina's got two new goalies, obviously letting Delkovich go to Detroit. Uh, Boston got, has got Linus Olmark. Now, a lot of teams that are said to be contenders and one of the best in the league are rolling in with a new starting goalie, which you don't see that that often, which might be a little bit of a, 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 an upside for Vegas is knowing that their guy is already acclimated. They can start out strong, but it's just interesting, the goalie situation for all the teams around the league, except for Edmonton, who's going in with Mike Smith again. But And uh, Tampa Bay has a, uh, a solid goal team. Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't like to talk about Tampa Bay much because we do this every offseason where we sit there and talk about who could be the team that takes the you know the next leap and then Tampa Bay wins the cup again. So ultimately that might be what happens the next year. We're just going to do it again. Yeah. I mean, they have the best goalie in the league, arguably the best defenseman in the league and maybe the best goal scorer in the league in Kucherov. Although Austin Matthews probably would disagree with that. Just, you know, one, one of the best forwards point producers, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And Braden point. Who's yeah. awesome. And Steven Stamkos and Kucherov who didn't play a damn regular season game came in in the playoffs. And after having the bubble year he had playing this year, but yeah. man, just, just, a team just just loaded with with just wealth and Pat Maroon, who just doesn't lose Stanley Cups. That guy's something. Well, let's start winding down here. We're getting a little bit late in the podcast. Really quick, my favorite thing about Tampa Bay is that fourth line. I think I've mentioned this to JJ before. Is going to be the funnest fourth line. If I watch the Lightning, it's not going to be to watch all those guys you just listed. It's going to be Belmar between Corey Perry and Patrick Maroon. That is going to be the absolute best line to watch in the NHL next year. I'm, I'm saying it from now. That's going to be ESPN's highlight every single game. <laughs> well, and it's also, I mean, Belmar is just such a like delightful personality. Like listening to his interviews in Tampa Bay will be great. And hopefully playing with a grump like Corey Perry's going to be like, why are you so mad all the time? Like, oh, and yeah, Belmar is such a great dude. He and he and Maroon will have a blast together, I'm sure. So, yeah, that being said, I guess looking ahead at this year, you know, what are some things you're looking forward to, whether it's part of the schedule, any good road trips or, you know, maybe some stories that you got brewing up? Yeah, well, first road trips, pretty sweet. I mean, it's uh, Washington. uh, So they start at home, I think, for two games, Chicago and St. Louis. But then it's they go Washington, Florida. And the game I'm looking forward to is they play at Tampa. Uh, I think it's the fifth game of the season. And that should be an awesome, like, just litmus test early on to see where the team is. Um, I'm curious, obviously, I mean, can Kale McCarr 
stay healthy the whole year. And if he can stay healthy, will he win the Norris? That's always, I mean, mm. at this point in his career, that's who he is. He's a Norris level defenseman and we'll see if he can bring home some hardware this year. And then I think you also have to look at um, Ranton to see if he can continue on this, I guess, uh, development curve that he's on. It's crazy to think he is still only 24 years old and he's such an elite player an elite playmaker and if he was in another market, if if Miko Rantanen played in Toronto, he would be a superstar. And he's just chilling in Colorado, scoring 30 goals in a 56-game season. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do in a full 82. Don't you love Miko Rantanen, too? Just his whole demeanor. and Really nice guy. Yeah. Really if, friendly. If Kel McCarr was playing in Toronto, he'd probably be making $11.5 million like the rest of the True. guys there. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, there's a lot to look forward to this season. Is, is you know Sam Girard, for example, was a good player a couple years ago. He became a great player last year. Then they brought in Devon Taves. Obviously, Kale McCarr came in and had, you know, took another step to something that was already a great player. So it's being able to see all three of these guys for 82 games is going to be so much fun. The goalie situation, the road trips, the being able to play more than the same seven or eight teams. And even the teams they played in the playoffs last year, they they had, who was it? Who would they beat in the first round before? Dallas, the Arizona before, no, oh, the year before, the they, they beat the Arizona and then they had to play them again and then Dallas. So like literally from March 2020 until now, Dallas is the only team outside of that West division yeah. that they've, they've played the same eight or nine teams every single game since March, 2020. So it's being able to go on the road and seeing teams like Tampa and, you know, starting the season with Chicago, granted the guy in Ned's a little familiar with Mark Andre Fleury. Yeah. And a new look Chicago, it's kind of a, some of the, they're bringing the, like they're trying to get together one last run for Taves and Kane and, and those guys. And that'll be a, a blast to watch. Yeah, it's it's there's just a lot to look forward to this year. It's going to be so much fun. Obviously, the the forgotten story for me, I, I made a little comment about it earlier, is ESPN and TNT taking over yeah. hockey coverage. There's just so much to look forward to, and all we need is for them to let the media in the locker room, and everything would be back to what we remember it to be. But we're getting there. It's 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 slowly coming back to what we remember for for hockey to be before the pandemic shutdowns. Totally. Well, Peter, I guess here's a good place to stop. Obviously, we appreciate you for coming on, and we really wanted a lot of the fan base to get to know you. You know, we did this for Ryan Clark when he was new, and I really think it helped him, you know, kind of connect with a lot of people, let people get to know who he actually is. I don't remember that happening. Yeah, this was before your time, Rook. Uh Um, (laughs) But uh, before, uh, before we leave, I got you a parting gift. You know, we've talked about these a few times on the podcast. So just in case you need the uh, avalanche schedule, there's a magnet for your refrigerator. This actually will be very nice to have. I like, I will, I will use this and see when I will be in Denver and when I will be flying to There you go. Convenient. And if you need to buy or sell a house, my number's right there for you. New era (laughs) equity team. Look at that. There's Jeremy (laughs) Jerez. And yeah, if you're looking to learn how to box, give me a call. These are our shameless plugs we do at the end of every episode. He's a real estate agent. I run a boxing gym in Cherry Creek. We like to plug that every time. There you go. Well, I uh, do neither of those things, but if I ever need (laughs) boxing or real estate, I'll I'll hit you both up. Absolutely. So any closing thoughts out of any of you guys uh, before we wrap up and uh, head out of here for the week? I guess for me, it's just thank you for coming on. I mean, I, I remember the first time because because Ryan Clark was prepping me for this kid, Peter. You're going to love this kid. He's a great dude <laughs> and everything the entire time. So I actually met Peter opening night and I went and talked to him and I was like, we got to get you on the pod. And, you know, here we are finally seven or eight months later, finally making it happen, going into the following season. It's been a whirlwind of a year for, for everybody in the hockey world, especially for you. Cause you did, you know, you moved here end of December, early January. So just thanks for coming on. And I'm excited for this upcoming season. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah. Anytime you need me. All right, guys. Well, that being said, thanks for hanging out with us as always. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Hockey's for everyone. And we out. To-